Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains in transit, adventures in life hacks, and today, Oregon State Parks, bikeways, always. And we have here in the studio this evening, Alex Phillip. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about what you do. So, I am the lead on the Scenic Bikeways program, the Oregon Scenic Bikeways designated. There's specially designated Scenic Bikeways. There's the um, first program like this in the entire country. And there's 16 of them all over the state where they're mapped and there's even directional signs. And it, you can enjoy the beauty of Oregon through the viewpoint of a bicycle seat. Awesome. And so this is a program that started somewhat recently, but you've been at it for a little while now. Do you want to tell us a bit about how you got into this position? <laughs> sure. So in I started with State Parks in 2008, and it was just kind of an idea. They really had no idea. It was actually the vision of the program was from Cycle Oregon, okay. and that was is um, continues to be one of our partners in it. Um, so, but before that, I was working at conservation nonprofits, and I was also, even before that, living in Bozeman, Montana, and I'd been on the bike advisory board to the city council, so I'd been involved in bike advocacy, and I started bike touring, actually, I should throw that in there, okay. way back, way back, what year? 1990. Back before it was cool. Yes. <laughs> actually, I feel like um, someone was, we were talking about bike tourism, and kind of it's a weird thing to be in the tourism world Mm -hmm. and I was thinking why do I love to do bike tourism and I was thinking back to that bike trip that I took in 1990 I rode from Colorado to Montana and everybody thought I was weird (laughs) and now it's like normal so really I work in bike (laughs) tourism so I can feel normal (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely rub shoulders with fellow bike tourers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um, for the position there Oregon didn't start out with 16 scenic bikeways we we started out with quite a bit fewer Um, Mm -hmm. How how did we grow from that, and, and how did we get to where we are today? Well, the very first one was the Lamette Valley Scenic Bikeway, and the way that one came into being, the original Lee, was that it was a partnership with Cycle Oregon and State Parks, and we just drew lines on a map. This was before I started. We didn't consult with the counties we were going through. They didn't consult with the locals. Ooh. And did, yeah, did and it, did it rub some people the wrong way? Yes. Okay. We, there were some bicycle advocates that were like, well, if you'd asked me, I would have rooted it this way because I know the better way. And then the county wasn't very mm. happy about it. So when we started really doing the full program as it is today, it's application driven. So it's the local proponents all over the state, the people who know the best bike biking in their area, mm-hmm. putting in applications with the support of all the road jurisdictions, the cities and the counties. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they're doing the legwork and they're they're yes. reaching out to you basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. How uh, I guess how many bikeways went through before the the process switch occurred? I guess would be oh, my just, wonderment. Just, just one. one. Okay. Oh. Just one. <laughs> Being and pretty clear at that is point. It still yeah. the, is it still the the same route then, or did uh, you guys end up like sort of? Uh, I don't want to say bending to to the locals' will, but yeah, I guess just did mm-hmm. you take their advisement and go, okay, we should probably change this. Yes, it's yeah. actually the Willamette Valley Scenic Bikeway used to be the original, original route was almost all on the west side of the Willamette River. It's oh. now almost all on the east side. Okay, It's almost all really, really flat. It used to be really hilly. And there's been other jigs and zags to change it. And mm-hmm. it's a much better route, actually, now because we've taken that input from the locals who mm-hmm. who know 
know where it should go. Yeah. And so putting these together, that must be a lot of work. I'd imagine you get a lot of chances to reach out and sort of work within these communities. What does the process, once you get the application, what does that look like on your end? So even before that, even before I get the actual paper of the application, I have community groups calling me, volunteers, Chamber of Commerce, sometimes county commissioners, um, or it can be the lead on this. So I'm working with the communities so they can go out and get the letters of support because even if you live in a place, you really don't know, is that a city road or a county road or a state road? You guys might know because you're involved in transportation, but you don't really think about that. So um, so working with them on that mm-hmm. and then getting the application, and then it goes to the State Scenic Bikeway Committee, and we decide of all the applications we get which ones we're actually going to go out and ride to see because the rule says we have to ride it to rate it. We can't drive it. Oh, and as man, you know, it's, that must be the hardest yeah, part. <laughs> it is. But it's a good thing it's there, though, because yeah, yeah. the world looks different from behind a windshield oh, yeah. compared to on a bicycle. For sure. If you've ever gotten the feeling navigating a piece of infrastructure and scratching your head saying, did they actually ride this or did they just, you know, (laughs) exactly for sure. Try to avoid that. Have you Mm -hmm. um, hit any surprises or things that that you you think you would have gone through in a vehicle, but but noticed in a completely different fashion while you were doing the test rides? Um, I'm trying to think of things. I can't think of those things. The things that really come up are. Sometimes there is a road jurisdiction or this happens with, um, well, different road jurisdictions will say, well, you can't ride on that road, but they're not a cyclist. Or they're kind of embarrassed about the road. Oh, that road's not in really good shape. And we think, wow, this road's in great shape. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So kind of different perspectives is what I come across more than than anything. Nice. Do you have a, of 16, do you have a favorite route or a route that you're looking forward to riding? Again, because I've ridden all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Actually, that's one of the funny things about the committee is um, it. there's some routes over on this side of the state that I'll be on and I'll say, oh, this is okay, but there's too many trees. I can't see anything. I want to be out in eastern Oregon mm-hmm. where other people on the committee will say, oh, it's so beautiful. Look at all these trees. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess my favorite routes really are in eastern Oregon. Yeah. And hailing, hailing from Bozeman, hailing mm-hmm. from Montana, you'd, you'd have that wide open space appeal mm-hmm. for sure. Do you um, continue to follow up on each of the bikeways or, or what kind of after after work is there to be done once one is designated? That's a really good question because we do a lot and um, we're not sure. We're really at a, at a crux point here, a turning point with should we take in more? How do we take care of what mm-hmm. we've got? Um, so once they're designated, I um, there's a five-year review. We go out and visit with the proponents and look at the route and see how we can help them, how they can work to improve the bikeway Mm -hmm. and there's constant um, replacing signs the directional signs working with the proponents to they work to raise awareness bike friendly businesses within the community and Mm -hmm. I work with them on that and that's is that part of the bike friendly business sign that Travel Oregon does that's exactly yes I worked with them Um, they mostly developed it but I work with them a little bit on that okay Um, that's a great program that's also kind of unique to Oregon there's a lot of states that have bike friendly business programs but it's more geared towards the commuter and where you're working is bike friendly this is as Travel Oregon says tourism facing that's their so yeah you can you can show up and you can know that there is or isn't Mm wi-fi hot food a shower etc exactly Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the community involvement, um, we, I think, brushed shoulders at the conference uh, 
about eight or nine months mm -hmm. ago in terms of the Oregon Tourism Summit. And mm -hmm. one of the presenters there was talking about Germany's bikeways yes. and how they're sort of all interconnected, but they're community driven or community inspired. Is that a direction that the Oregon State Park Service is looking to go towards in terms of the integration of these as we start to get more and more of the bikeways? I feel like you've been eavesdropping on our committee meetings. Um, that's a I'm just excited about planning. <laughs> yes. That, I'm just thinking, like, how could you do that? Like, that seems so mind-boggling. What, to? To connect all of these. Well, connecting them, that's, yeah. I'll, let's set that aside for okay. just a second. I'll touch on that. But the whole idea of the Germany one is that there's, like, themes to each of the bikeways, and there's a lot of what we would call, like, more interpretation mm. and more of a, um, a theme to each of the bikeways. Um, and... We're talking about how we can do what Germany's doing, but also what we do and what works here. Mm -hmm. So connecting them, the reason it's mind-boggling, and that was a big controversy, I don't know, six or seven years ago on the committee when we first was forming. Some people did want them to connect. But truly, if we're trying to stick to what we're doing, which is the best of the best scenic bikeways, if we connect them... You know, there's places you'd ride, but it's just purely functional and sure. it's not pretty. It's a it's a connection, quite, yeah. quite literally. And we don't want that. These okay. are scenic. These are not to get from A to B. These are to go out and have a beautiful ride. Okay. So just still trying to keep it within that spirit yes. of absolute, you know, best of the best. Mm -hmm. Go out here and bike it. Exactly. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Are there any bikeways that are on the horizon that uh, folks in Oregon or possibly people looking to travel into and, and try mm -hmm. a new one? Is there anything exciting that is coming up on the horizon? There is one. Um, it's over by Prineville. Do you guys know where Prineville is? I do. I you can't do. say I do. Yeah. Yeah, so you, take, you take, take, yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the best spot in the middle of somewhere in the middle of central Oregon. It's true. And it, nobody goes there. It it's east of Bend. And it's high desert it's mm -hmm. beautiful high desert it's a tiny town but it's really it's got a bike a great bike shop it's got two brew pubs uh, yeah and the yeah. next couple of months there's going to be a really beautiful it's going to be only about um i think 17 miles okay. pretty flat it's going to run along the crooked river which is a wild and scenic river it's going to be a great ride for either someone just looking for a nice easy ride or it's great for someone who's doesn't want to take on huge hills okay. and but wants... so it's not heading up into the Ochico. No. Okay. No. And it's a spectacular ride. There's campgrounds out there all along the river and it's it's just spectacular. So nice. that it's if all goes right, it will be designated probably in February. Nice. Was that one that, so you mentioned a bike shop in Prineville, mm -hmm. was that one that you worked directly with that shop with, or were they the proponents, or was it still more that general community-driven? Well, it, he was one, he is, I said was, because he and his partner just had a baby, so he's a little busy right now with the bike shop and the <laughs> that baby. That can be but, forgiven. <laughs> yeah, but he was in the group, and it was actually a county commissioner, Okay. and um, a, one of the guys that works at the BLM, and... Uh, the guy from the bike shop were the main proponents and that's oh and also the head of the chamber okay and that's a real typical kind of well actually real typical other than we don't usually have a county commissioner as mm -hmm. one of the main proponents but we do there they're very excited about bike tourism tourism and that's something that you probably don't think about in portland that there's these towns in eastern oregon that love it when cyclists come there mm -hmm. And that wasn't, or at least, and I might be just reading from my experience into this, it hasn't always been the case. Do you feel like mm -hmm. with the 16 that we have, um, my first impression of, of some communities in Eastern Oregon would be that that would be a bit more distancing to what, what they're used to. But 
it, do you think that that's changed over time now that people are able to see, hey, this has been around for nine years. These communities are seeing both a positive um, like social impact, but also economical impact that's related to that? Absolutely. But I really have to say that it didn't start with us. The seed of all that, I really think, started with Cycle Oregon. Okay. But then... That makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. To just start opening some of those doors, some of the doors. But then with the 16 scenic bikeways... And that we have actually a study showing that in 2014, they brought in over $12 million into the economy and Mm -hmm. raising that revenue into these uh, small communities. So people are really starting to see those, not those weirdo bikers in the funny shorts, but, oh, here's some cyclists. Isn't this nice? (laughs) Yeah. Or the the ones who are going to stop off and order a double burger and and down it because they're darn hungry. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Most people just come for a single burger. Yeah. These people have been riding some miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, are any of the bikeways, is something, uh, in terms of the off-roadness, is that mm-hmm. something that the bikeways are thinking of looking into? Because I know we have the Timber Trail, which mm-hmm. was announced just recently, um, and we were talking a bit about that before the show. Is the Scenic Bikeway program one that's designed or is going to continue to be mainly one that's on paved or, or dirt road? Well, once again, you tapped right into one of our big issues. That, so the two, we have different application windows. And the okay. last two that we did, we actually actively tried to get applications for gravel rides. And we didn't get okay. any. But now we're looking at it slightly differently. Like, is a gravel ride appropriate? Because a lot of gravel rides are out in the middle of nowhere. There's no amenities. Mm-hmm. And the other big thing about gravel rides is the road conditions change so much. Sure. One rainstorm, whatever, that it's harder to tell someone about. One of the things about the Scenic Bikeway program is you can read the little blur- blurb on each of the bikeways and say, oh, this one's for me, or mm-hmm. this one's too easy, this one's too hard, this one's too much climbing. Much more weather or, dependent. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then the conditions are kind of static you know as far as road conditions you know minus of course construction or whatever okay. but that's also posted on our website so the whole thing is you're not going to get into something that you don't want to get into but with gravel and that's part of the reason people love it can gravel be a one one day and yeah. like a five another day exactly or it's rated yeah. exactly that makes yep. sense mm-hmm. or even like within that day it could change mm-hmm so it sounds yeah. like working working more towards the paved roads I, I i think that makes good sense too because um I could certainly imagine, like, with the success that the program has seen, you you definitely wouldn't, I I think, want to get people out there and then stick them halfway through a route and have things start to go wrong. (laughs) Exactly. But then there's the other part. See, this is why we have a committee, because there's so much, like, different sides of this. And now we're going to is that gravel riding is growing. The Even when you talk to bike shops, that's the bikes that are selling. So should we go that direction Mm -hmm. or not? So within the committee, um, tell us a little bit about the makeup of the committee Mm -hmm. and sort of how that process or that group is formed. Mm -hmm. Well, we're the state, so it's all written into what we call Oregon Administrative Rule. And there's there's, um, 11 members, and there's three at-large members, so anyone can apply. And right now, one of those is um, Allison Graves, who was with the Community Cycling Center and then Mm -hmm. the director of Cycle Oregon. She's serving. And we also have a bike shop owner from Bandon. Mm-hmm. He's on it as at large. Does Bandon have a, a scenic bikeway nearby to it? Yes. Okay. Actually, I'm trying to remember. That's which... one of our sort of newer ones. It's okay. a little oh, down, down there. Number 13. Port Orf- Orford, near mm-hmm. Port Orford, which if is. If you right. haven't been to Bandon or Port Orford, 
make the trip. It's a mm-hmm. great place to go cycle on the coast. Mm-hmm. So this one is, is called the Wild Rivers Coast Scenic Bikeway. Yeah, that's, that's a spectacular one. That's more fun to talk about than talking about the committee makeup. Actually. <laughs> 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 well, well, tell us a little bit about the Wild River one. <laughs> that's so. Por- I love Port Orford. Um, it's this quaint but really the better word for it is quirky little town there's a coffee shop there that opens up at three o'clock in the morning because of the fishermen mm. and you walk oh, in yeah. and they're blasting punk rock music at three o'clock in the morning making coffee for the fishermen and most of the ride is pretty um not a ton of elevation gain you can go up and check out and ride along the elk river and it's mm-hmm. just spectacular oh, nice. or you can climb up towards cape blanco and get this spectacular view of the coast way up and down the coast mm-hmm. and the rocks and the and the um water crashing against the rocks it and goes course, out to the lighthouse yes there. Nice. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's a really nice ride excellent oh Oh, shoot. I'm, okay. I'm well, temporarily I guess, out of yeah. questions. Well, I guess I could talk about transition over <laughs> yeah. to yeah. the hiker-biker stuff. Ooh, because yes, because there's that a was... hiker-biker site in um, at Cape Blanco State Park that um, is getting improved. We've done lots of improvements. We're, um, there's about 24 hiker-biker sites, and as people may or may not know, they are for people that arrive under their own power. So you can hike in, and a lot of people um, hike the Oregon Coast Trail. Mm-hmm. Or ride in. Most people come in by bike. You can't have a support vehicle. Um, and it's $5 a night per person, which is really different than our other sites. Mm-hmm. And the big thing, and this is what makes it so good for cyclists, is there's no reservation. So when you pull up to one of those, let's say, Cape Lookout, that sells out every campsite is booked yep. all yeah. summer. Yep. And you roll in on your bike and you're tired and you want to stop. And it says campground full and there's a hiker-biker site, you just roll in and put up your tent in the site, and you're and it's good. Okay. For the hiker-biker sites, um, were those in place when you took in your position mm-hmm. nine years ago, or is that also something that was developed while you were working within the Scenic Bikeway programs? Actually, they started way back, if okay. anyone remembers the Bike Centennial, when in I don't. 1976, thousands of... I don't oh, remember yes. either. They, no, I've yeah. heard of this. Yeah. Yes. We should do a history it's, on the Bike oh, Centennial you totally episode. Should. You this totally is part should. of what started uh, the Adventure Cycling Exactly. Actually, yeah. they used to be called the Bike Centennial Organization. Oh, nice. Okay. So all these people rode across, thousands of people rode across the country, and state parks opened up these hiker-biker sites. And then after that, didn't give them a lot of thought. And then when I was hired, my boss at the time kept saying, you should pay attention to those sites. They could probably use some improvements. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm busy designated bikeways. But he was totally right. And um, we started. I started doing surveys of what cyclists wanted at the hiker biker sites. Can you guess what would number one thing that you would want when you pull USB in? chargers? Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> really, I was kind of being facetious. No, that's totally. It is totally what they want. Hmm. I mean, I could see that. Like we all got our devices that we mm-hmm. that we like to, you know, uh, document on. And between keeping in touch, using maps, and mapping, mm-hmm. yeah. everything, you want your phone. So we've done some major improvements. Um, actually, state parks, the planning group, not me, but the engineers and planners, um, worked with making these lockers because you can yes. store mm-hmm. your your panniers in the locker and keep them safe. And there's a lot of raccoons, especially yeah. on, the, yeah. on the coat. It sounds like you guys have been out there and had your food stolen. I've been raccooned, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then inside each locker, there's a USB Plug in. Okay. 
And so the USB stuff, is that, uh, what's the timeline for that? Was that within the last year or so, two years? I think it's hard. I think, yeah, a little over two years. We did, I think, three and then use those as kind of prototypes. One of them was at Milo MacGyver State Park. I was going to say, Mm -hmm. that was the first I heard of it, and it was maybe Mm -hmm. two years ago. Yeah. Maybe two summers, yeah. And with it, gosh, yeah, time passes fast. Maybe it's longer <laughs> than yes. And then I also did just a mini survey on the ones that had been improved to find out what's working. What's mm-hmm. so, and the, there's going to be more improvements and additional ones soon. If there's any uh, buddy riding or looking to connect into that process, is there some place they can go online to also submit comments or feedback on the hiker biker sites? The best way to do that is if you go to OregonScenicBikeways.org, which is where all the um, information on the Scenic Bikeways is, and you scroll all the way down to the bottom of that page, there's my contact information. Okay, excellent. Mm -hmm. Because it's really great to get feedback from folks. As a matter of fact, I really like having a group of people that I can just this email and say what do you think of doing this mm-hmm. and how does this work at this site and it's really good to get that feedback from people who actually use them okay mm-hmm. in terms of the use do you have any way of monitoring like, actual numbers of people that use that i mean they mm-hmm. people do pay hopefully yes. uh, I, i'm going to caveat uh <laughs> in, in terms of the sites have you seen the numbers correlate uh to the increase in amenities or has it been on an overall rise um, it's on the rise overall. Okay. I think the word on the amenities is getting out slowly. That's actually one of the things that I'm really challenged with is how to get the word out about the hiker biker sites. A lot of times on the surveys, I'll ask them, how did you hear about the hiker biker sites? And they say, we found out about them on our ride. We wish we knew about them before. Interesting. So, um, but, oh, so, oh, um, growth. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's certain ones that are just super popular, partly because mm-hmm. if they're really pretty or location, um, so far, the amenities hasn't spiked that. Or maybe it has, especially in Milo MacGyver, because that's a huge improvement over to over um, what was there. So it's a really nice site there. Excellent. And are they all metal boxes, or is it a big mixture of wood? I'm only asking because the, yeah. the one time that we did get <laughs> Raccoon, it was down in California, where um, it happened to be one of the only wooden boxes that we encountered. Uh, but um, some animals went right through it very, yes. very happily. Oh, that's so funny, because we played a lot with what... Um, materials to use because mm-hmm. like on the coast you really can't there's so many things that'll just rot on the yeah. coast oh. yeah, yeah. so um, it's more metal more plastic down there um, and then at Milo MacGyver there's more wood to make it look nice but all the lockers are actually out of metal we wouldn't yeah wooden lockers out I mm-hmm. don't know how that would work yeah for sure <laughs> they'd, they'd get eaten by a raccoon eventually yes. <laughs> um, fantastic is there anything that you're also working on right now that you're excited to share or, or able to share with our listeners? Yeah. Oh, any secrets? Um, the big thing is, is the next part of the program, the next phase of the program. We have 16. We're going to have 17 scenic bikeways. Mm-hmm. How many is too many? How many is unsustainable? Because there is things that have to happen after they're designated. And that's the the big question. Mm. What happens now? <laughs> in terms of the community involvement and, and the community effort, what, what percentage would you say is sort of ongoing maintenance versus how much community involvement is needed to get one started? Um, you or, mean- or So I guess what I mean is, um, would it be like two people per scenic bikeway? If you have like two dedicated community mm-hmm. members, that, that scenic bikeway is good to go and it's going to be able to maintain or, or are people sort of switching in and out oh. in terms of their role with that community component? That's, yeah, you're really um, keyed into all the major things because that's, 
it's ideal to have more than two people, and there's a lot of people, They've their bikeway was designated in 2011, 2012, and they're ready to move on to other things. Okay. They love the bikeways program, but, they're you know, life happens. Sure. And how do you recruit new volunteers, and how do you, you keep that alive there? Mm-hmm. That's another really... Um, important part of the program to have those those local community involvement and how do you keep people interested in being a volunteer yeah indeed um if is are is there a way for people to volunteer via the website where they could get linked into their particular community um if there is a bike way near them yes they could just email me and and i'll um, hook them up with the proponent group for the bikeway. And sometimes when I say proponent group, sometimes it's five, six, seven people working on it. Sometimes it's one guy because everyone else has moved on to everything. So they could really use more, mm-hmm. more people, but it is really community based. Um, so, but the other thing actually, when I'm thinking about all the listeners in Portland on this who go out and ride miles and miles and miles one of the things that we need to keep track of is the signs. And if there's a sign missing, mm-hmm. the only way I know is if somebody tells me. I can't write all of them every time, every month, but I'd love to. Mm-hmm. But so um, that's another way that they can be involved. If they're out there on a bikeway, there needs to, there should be a sign at every decision point. So if you're going left or right, there should be a sign. And if there isn't, um, let me know. And you can also verify that by looking at the, there's maps and there's cue sheets. And thanks to Ride with GPS. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also GPS. Good people at Ride with GPS. Yes. Yeah. Ride, ride, ride with yeah. GPS. Um, for those unfamiliar with his uh, Portland-based uh, GPS mapping and ride system. So. Yeah, they're amazing. And we've got all that up there. They're all the 16 bikeways are what's called ambassador sites. So when you get to a bikeway on the Ride with GPS site, all these photos come up. You can find yeah, the but, printed maps if you want. You've seen that? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um, when we were trying to map out... Um, well, our ride to the eclipse, which didn't happen, oh. we used ride with GPS and caught some of the little ambassador oh, sites good. there. Yeah. Oh, why didn't you end up riding to the eclipse? That would have been great. Um, my girlfriend had to work, uh. and we we probably could have gone down to to- totality and come back up to town, mm-hmm. but it, we would have been, you know, pushing it the yeah. whole way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't worth stressing over time, really. Yeah, yeah. If you're around in 80 years and the <laughs> Prineville Scenic Bikeway is still out, that's, that's right. an excellent spot to catch. Yeah, <laughs> the path of totality. <laughs> yeah. Or, we'll or just, a big rave. We'll, we'll leave fly, it up to you. Yeah, we'll just have to fly down to South America next year. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. Um, mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining oh, us this thanks. evening. This is fun. Oh, one thing I wanted yeah. to talk oh, yeah. about. Um, you had mentioned in an email to me about what uh, I say? being s- pleasantly yeah. surprised that there wasn't any complaints uh, over the $2 rate oh, increase. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. What what was something that you guys were expecting or, or hemming and mm-hmm. hawing over as you guys were, were thinking of this rate increase yeah. in the state parks? And- Actually, thanks for saying that because I think earlier I said the, the old rate, but it just went up like six days ago. Oh, so okay. now I couldn't it's remember $7. Before or after. That's right. Yes, it just happened. Thank okay. you. So it's $7 a night. And I was expecting some complaints. And actually, on one of your podcasts, they were saying, oh, well, it's 
you know, it's still just seven bucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And with that, as opposed to other states, you don't have to pay for the hot right. shower. Mm-hmm. You get and more and more amenities going in. Also, rewind a couple of minutes ago when we were talking about the USB chargers mm-hmm. and the lockers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so far, no complaints. We'll see what happens in the high season. But um, that's been going well you know state parks is still it's a very very affordable vacation (laughs) yeah definitely Mm -hmm. for folks who are taking advantage of that from your perspective what what can we do to be good stewards of that program and what what can we do to help that be successful and and to prosper the hiker biker sites yes there's oh there's um a couple things first of all follow the big rule of no vehicle that gets that's what people come in they're like oh well i just want to park over there and camp right. up. that's not park the, up the street yeah and walk in. <laughs> i hiked in yeah <laughs> exactly that's you know it's for people do actually, they check for that um no I know at it's cape lookout yeah. there was there was some people oh. being pretty vigilant about like no I just saw you pull in, yeah. and mm. you just pulled out and went up the street. Uh-huh. Yeah, or maybe it's down to that that particular ranger's uh, annoyance at that yeah, feature. Yeah, I such. imagine so. And it was also like right in the the high summer, you know. That's exactly it. There's no place to put the vehicles for one thing. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is to um, talk about it to say, "Oh, I really like staying at the hiker biker site." Even write an email because you can imagine there's so much going on in a state park. We've got the regular drive-in tent sites, as we call them. We've got the RV hookup sites. Mm-hmm. We've got all this stuff, and the, the day use areas. Yeah, the day which use has areas. Various uh, mm-hmm. amenities and, and activities mm-hmm. depending on the state park. Yeah. So sometimes are the other the park manager or um, the director, whoever isn't really focusing on the hiker biker sites and to get that good feedback yes this is a good thing we like biking to our state parks mm-hmm. that's a that's a great feedback and if there are concerns problems it's really good to hear that like oh this happened and we really didn't really like our stay because whatever so we can address it okay be communicative yes absolutely <laughs> has um do you know has travel oregon or such ever done like a, a hashtag or a, or a social media campaign like Hashtag hiker biker fun or something like that to, to get the word out. No, and people suggest that I do that, and I I haven't. I even I <laughs> use, do tweet use those USB slots, yeah. people. Yeah, I do tweet the OR scenic bike <laughs> no, I'm way. Just curious. Yeah, that is it would be great because it's it's there's about twenty four of them all over the state, and you just go to that Oregon scenic bikeways dot org. You can mm-hmm. look at all the hiker biker sites there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I wonder if you could have a. A little marker or something um, don't like you you sort of wind a piece of string down around your USB cable for and it's different for each hiker biker site and so you got to collect each mm. little ribbon on, <laughs> your, <laughs> on your cable for every USB port that you <laughs> plugged into <laughs> yeah yeah well I was thinking too like some of the um, hiker biker boxes themselves mm-hmm. like you you've probably seen this they sort of tell stories uh, where oh, people yeah riding through will leave a message for somebody a few days behind them or uh, draw about yeah. the one time they saw a bear off off to the left of the road or such. I, at least I noticed like stickers are pretty um, proliferate, but also mm-hmm. I've, I've seen some decent poetry on a bike box here or there. Really? Yeah. I have not yet. Oh, I that's should, I'll, exciting I'll see. I um, see. should be able to pull some photos from my 2015 trip. I could, oh, I could email you there. Okay. But those were like one of my favorite things on the coastal ride um, was actually pulling into the site at night and then just kind of reading what people had left from uh, trips prior on those bike boxes. Nice. Oh, hmm. we should do that more officially and like have a, 
have a notebook there and yeah, record certainly. people's yeah. yeah, wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for that idea. Sure. <laughs> cool. Um, well, yeah. well, thanks for coming in. Thanks. Thanks. It was great. Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if anybody has uh, feedback on the Hiker Biker sites, uh, they can reach you at the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, that is? OregonScenicBikeways.org. Awesome. So mm-hmm. drop any feedback you have, positive or um, improving towards. And uh, yeah, Alex will, Alex will take a look there. Uh-huh. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, thank, thank you. you, Alex. Take care. So before we go into our calendar, yeah, I'm just going to jump right in here. Before we go into our calendar, it is worth mentioning this particular Lionheart kombucha has yet to settle down. I've been opening this <laughs> intermittently during during the interview, and it still keeps fizzing over. It's just happy to see you. It's it's a, every time Lionheart comes out with a new flavor. Apparently, it's extra fizzy. I love it. It's the Jazzberry Marionberry with a splash of jasmine, but it for some reason does not want to settle. <laughs> <laughs> where where did you get that splash of jasmine? Aaron? And yes, this this is available at the Beermongers on Southeast Division and Twelfth. Uh, thank you so much, Beermongers, for providing our drinks for every show. Yes, and uh, also courtesy of the Beermongers, I'm enjoying a monkless Belgian ale of a word that I cannot pronounce, and therefore <laughs> I will not try. However, it does taste quite Belgian. So if you're interested in some great Belgian ales. Check out the Beermongers on Southeast Division and 12th. And speaking of the Beermongers on Southeast Division and 12th, tomorrow, those of you listening to this is already too late, but I'm still mentioning this <laughs> for the sake of conversation. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. a bunch of us will be riding, heading down there. Um, for, what, what are we riding there for, Aaron? For, what, what by are we the doing? time you hear this, I will have turned 40 years old. Oh I, yeah! It feels so. If honestly, it feels really weird to say that I'm 40 years old. Like I still barely believe that I'm 30. Yeah, I was in like the 30s. When you said that, I was like, "Oh shit!" I thought he was like 22. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly still live like I'm 22. <laughs> Take that, don't we? However all. you want. <laughs> yeah, I decided this is like one of the rare times where. Um, I've taken the reins and and decided to have a birthday party or to celebrate my birthday in a in a public hmm. way. Usually, it's just I'll have dinner with with Anna or something. Yeah. Do you do uh, do you do like adventure birthday parties where you get out and and just escape into the woods for a while? Or no, not really. Okay. Um, I I sort of I try my best to shy away from any type of anything that could be interpreted as a celebration. Okay. You must maintain <laughs> like, normalcy and composure right, through right. this trying like, time. We're just going to we're just going to go out to eat and that's it. But <laughs> but this year is different apparently. Okay. I I felt the need to to make a a thing out of it and so um some of us will be meeting on the top of Mount Tabor mm-hmm. and uh rolling down Division Street as my moniker has been so, King um, of Division. You, you know what Jane and I are doing before we meet you at Mount Tabor tomorrow. Oh, snap. You guys will be... We'll be coffeeaneering it up. Yeah. So we finally uh, got around <laughs> to a weekend and the desire of coffee. And I think it's these uh, daylight savings days, which we've been having, and yeah. which it gets dark at about 4.30, and coffee helps us get there. So Ah, yes. Yes. I, I've noticed that my coffee intake has 
almost doubled. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't make the connection with daylight savings time. I honestly thought it was just because it's been so freaking cold. Yeah, it has been pretty cold. What Do you know what the temperature got down to this evening? You know, I, I hate to actually say this because I know Phil in Alaska is going to hear me say the number and he's going to roll his eyes. He's and going to. Probably, we can hear the guffaws yep, resounding yep. off the Cascade Range. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, but anyway, 38 is pretty cold. Come on. It was, it was 37 when I woke up this morning and that's the <laughs> lowest I've seen it so far. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really cold. Um, I, I can't say no to snow in November. That sounds pretty appropriate to me. Really? Yeah. I, I'm a snow guy though. You know yeah. that. <laughs> I, I left Michigan for a reason and snow is that reason. Uh, I, I did not want to deal with it anymore. I just, I uh, feel like it has less malice in portland somehow but maybe it's just me yeah like well yeah it's got it's got a lot of novelty i think especially here in portland when the city shuts down and everyone sort of like gets in this sort of dickensian uh mood if it gets that way i i've been um semi-seriously considering a uh shift ride called like bombing emma or no not not I guess that's a bad word. Um, <laughs> riding down, like any of those busy streets that you can yeah. never ride down, like maybe uh, Burnside, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or MLK or yeah. something. Riding the streets in the snow. Um, well, it isn't snowing yet, but it may do so soon. Yeah. Um, what else do we have on well, the docket for tonight? Us, let us start with our. I love, I love, I love, I love don't don't ever use that. We will. <laughs> and on our calendar, the second Friday of every month is, this was mentioned last episode with uh, with Jeremy Mendelson, mm-hmm. um, and we got a link to it on our site now. Uh, the second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also on the second of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Where there is no open container law. Ooh. That is to say, you can have an open container of alcohol there in public. I wonder what the uh, legal limit is in Indianapolis. Oh, that's a good question. Because yeah, I'm sure. Because maybe can't you can only have half of an open container, depending on <laughs> your your uh, body weight or such. <laughs> well, bring yeah, out our OLCC tables. I guess there's there's the open container, and then there's the the public intox law. Yeah, right? those are two different different uh, laws. That's a whole nother, whole nother can of worms. <laughs> um, and going on until November 19th, this was mentioned just a minute ago here, the seventh annual coffineering challenge. And so uh, you said you and Jane were going to do some coffineering. Yeah. Are you going to hit all seven of your, of your shops in it, one day? It is our hope to. So we, right we, we may do it, we may do it like partially prior to the birthday celebrations. We may do it. Uh, <laughs> a little partially <laughs> a little bit during yeah like if we're going by a coffee shop as well, long as it's two miles we go right oh, by yeah. there there's rain or shine indeed <laughs> um rain or shine also has fantastic bagels too so i oh, would yeah? not turn that down oh yeah they huh. um so so for for bagel aficionados and also feel free to write in and suggest your favorite bagel shop in portland um, but they carry Henry Higgins, and that's oh, that's okay. kind of one of our favorites. Yeah. Um, I used to live just down on 63rd in Clinton, so it made Rain and Shine one of those go-tos. Oh, okay. Yep, a good bagel yep. fix. I didn't know they used uh, Henry Higgins. They're they're one they, of a uh, few. Yeah, I mean, most I folks I found out are... they have one uh, just a block from my house now. Oh, really? And it's everything I can do in my power on the weekends to not just walk down and get a bagel. They're pretty tasty. Yes. They yeah. are, they're one of the few that are uh, boiled. Yep. 
yeah, still in, boiled here in Portland. It's in the uh, traditional New York style yeah. bagel fashion. So if you're sick of Bowery bagels, head on over to Henry Higgins <laughs> and not give to a say real New if York you bagel enjoy a try. A Bowery bagel <laughs> that is your prerogative, and oh, you're yeah. fine. But if you want a boiled bagel, yeah, and it's a it's a different experience. <laughs> Anyways, November first, which has already happened, but through the ninth, nine days has probably already happened, depending on when you're listening to this. The nine days of pie. Have you celebrated one of the nine days of pie yet? I celebrate pumpkin pie as often as possible. <laughs> but that is the only pie day that These, I celebrate. The events that they have on the on their schedule is really cool, but they just happen to be at times where like I'm at oh, work. Oh yeah. You know? For sure. Um but if you are at work, perhaps the at November or on November sixteenth, because this will certainly be in the evening time, uh you can Perhaps eat some pie and then go check out Lumberjack. Lumberjack at the White Eagle, and it's worth mentioning. Um, also, a friend of ours was a guest on the show, Stephen Butler. His band, Cold War Radio, is will be opening hmm. up for them. Oh, nice. On November 18th, we have Cranks Giving with special guest MCs. And I'm sure you can figure out, but... Just in case you haven't, the special guest MCs is the Sprocket Podcast. <laughs> and I didn't... I, I, I hadn't figured you, that one out. <laughs> oh, for real? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, will you be able to join or um, I'll will have you to check. have I, to do a tour that day? I it will see. Um, what time is it? Starts at three? Yeah. No, starts at one. Okay. I might be able to escape okay. for that. Awesome. We shall see. Yay. Um, December 1st, Pedal Shift turns 100. And with that, a meetup at the Beermongers. At Southeast Division and 12th. Yeah. On December 2nd, we have the Portland Podcast Festival, also with guest MCs somewhat, <laughs> a.k.a. the Sprocket Podcast. Yes. How cool is this? That's pretty neat. Yeah. So are for you, all are of you Are you ready that, for your 20 minutes? So my, my uh, question at first and foremost is, are we wearing bow ties or are we not wearing bow ties? Neckties. Neckties. I could yes. do a necktie. I'm not sure... Yeah. I could do a bow tie. Black shirt, red tie. Well, I will definitely need to get my kit in order. <laughs> but I've got till December 2nd, so uh, we should be okay here. <laughs> and December 15th through 17th is Bike Craft. And so speaking of Bike Craft and Cranksgiving, I'm mm-hmm. hopefully getting the organizers of each of those um, separately on the show. Um, and just confirmed Tom McTie of, of uh, Cranksgiving for... Yeah. Next Monday? One what of day is that? The 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 Monday <laughs> after this one. The Monday before. <laughs> yes. Anyways. As as Guthrie's like frantically not looking at his email <laughs> right, right now. <laughs> right. Doing my best. <laughs> um but anyways, yeah, we'll have Tom McTie on and uh hopefully soon the organizers of Bikecraft will be on there. And funny story of that is I got a email from one of the organizers. I won't I won't say their name. On the same day that I happened to be watching, this is how exciting my life is, uh, a live stream of uh, Tomas Quinones uh, <laughs> preparing some of his uh, his drawings that oh, he'll okay. be selling uh, for with watercolors uh, for Bikecraft. Oh, so I'm nice. watching this and I'm thinking like, oh, I should get these people on the show. And nice. What an email from one Was of Thomas just doing like a Periscope? live stream or uh yeah it was over instagram and i just oh, cool. happened to be on instagram at the time that it started so i was like yeah why sounds, not <laughs> sounds worthwhile yeah, yeah absolutely yeah 
And that was... Every day of the year. Which brings us to... What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. So from the Seattle Bike Blog, and I think this was also covered uh, briefly by Bike Portland this week, SDOT begins installing locally made side guards on city trucks. Yeah, so this is something um, that was... Uh, kind of in in the public sphere here in Portland, when um, that cyclist was killed on Water Avenue uh, mm-hmm. by a truck turning, and uh, there was a lot of people saying like, if that truck had had side guards, like, there's a good possibility, not a guarantee, of course, but there's a good possibility that cyclist would have still uh, lived through the accident. Yeah, and it seems like they're pretty customized solutions as well. And so um, I'm not sure how long they maybe looked at a, a commercial solution or, or sort of an off-the-shelf solution, but it seems like the best bet that uh, Seattle has centered around is is sort of locally made individual guards. But it seems like they have them across a, a very good variety and array of vehicles there. Yeah, um, this company, Walker Blocker, um, it's a Seattle-based company. Uh, they've created side guards to fit all truck body types. And uh, Seattle's uh, SDOT, Seattle Department of Transportation, is the first to have them installed. Um, And it's worth mentioning side guards are common throughout the world, especially in the United Kingdom. And the UK in 2005, um, they did a study and it revealed that as a result of using side guards, bicyclist fatalities dropped 61% and pedestrian fatalities dropped 20%. So... It seems pretty definitive that side guards are sure, uh, yeah, a good preventative measure. One of those uh, small cost for a p- very good potential benefit and, right. s- and saving of lives. No brainer. Yes. Um, this next one's a little bit heavy, but it came to us from listener Josh G uh, from the Hill, and he says, "I request an extensive analysis of the conceptual analysis on the sprocket." And I can't give you an extensive analysis, Josh, because I'm not, I don't have that much time. (laughs) (laughs) But I can give you more conceptual analysis. I'm sure anybody who's been on the uh, social medias has seen the internet explode uh, about this. Rick Perry uh, links fossil fuel development to preventing sexual assault. This was speaking during an energy policy discussion about energy policy with Meet the Press. Uh, Perry discussed his recent trip to Africa, and he said a young girl told him that energy is important to her because she often reads by the light of a fire with toxic fumes. Perry said that using fossil fuel to push power into remote villages in Africa is necessary and will have a positive role in people's life. Um, And this also comes on the heels of our president calling for the expanding of domestic production of fossil fuels for export, which I didn't know we exported uh, fossil fuels in yeah. honesty. I, I thought whatever we produced, we consumed. I think a big one, and I, I haven't checked the numbers on this, liquefied natural gas, um, if anybody remembers the, well, at least within Portland, the LNG terminals for here and then one down in Coos Bay that we're looking to go in uh, oh, really? about eight, nine years ago and uh, have so far been 
uh, not forthcoming due to a lot of activism at the local level um, and the national as well. But I think LNG is one of our larger exports. Um, okay. I would need to check the numbers on that, however. Um, and and the, the blurb that we have doesn't uh, provide that direct link to preventing sexual assault. And so I'm not sure no, it was, where it's... No, it was, it, a, where it was it's, a concept, uh, you know. And yeah. Uh, and this was, was just kind of talking off the cuff saying like, you know, yeah. well, when the lights are on, criminals won't be around. Okay, and is I that what he's going for? That was kind of, I think, the gist of what he was trying to say. And, you know, I'm, here on the Sprocket, we're not really much for getting political. and But it does seem kind of weird that you would connect lights and energy mm-hmm. to sexual assault. Yeah. I, I think that's just something you you don't do on any level. <laughs> right. um, and, at, at least you know, in terms of uh, maybe he was looking for a soundbite, which he certainly got. Uh, but and there's a, yeah. And there's a couple things like one is like, you know, he came back from a trip to Africa. Well, we're in Africa. Cause there's like 50 some countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Africa's a continent, everybody. It's it's not a country. And also this uh archetype maybe is, is a better word mm. for it, of, of Africa as this impoverished underdeveloped. Underdeveloped, yeah, uh area. And that's not that's not necessarily so either. Fossil fuels, light isn't gonna stop bad behavior. Culture stops bad behavior. Well said, Eric. That's that's my that's <laughs> my hot take on this. <clears throat> Anyways. We might not have fossil fuels. <laughs> <laughs> but what we do have. <laughs> you we're going for it. <laughs> yes. But what we do have. We got mail. Hey, we got mail. From Allen, Wisconsin. Hi, guys. You have a great podcast. I've listened to almost all of your shows and really like your format. While listening in to the last 10 minutes of a financial podcast, I thought you may want to comment on their reference to the future of bicycle mechanics. I replayed several times to make sure I'd heard them correctly, and it pissed me off. I think someone in the bicycle industry should make retort to their comment. Thanks again for all you do to promote bicycling in the simple life. Right on. Uh, thanks, Alan. And this is from Wisconsin. Um and he's got a really cool official title. I, I forgot to copy and paste it on there. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'll let you read the actual email yourself. Um, anyways, did you happen to read or listen to this uh, podcast that he attached on so the email? So I actually attempted to uh-huh. about three times. And, and um, <laughs> a- about the fourth time was when I realized that iTunes kind of hates my computer. Oh, and okay. so um, I, I actually would love to come back to this because, A, I'm curious, and B, um I should probably learn how to figure out iTunes at one of these points. Um, I did not get a chance to listen I'm to sure it. Sure, there's another way to listen to that. Yeah, I, I, I even went. I, I tried getting on my phone, um, and, and that didn't go so well. Oh, wow. It just sort of like started downloading all the episodes. So this is where, like, I'm wondering if I'm in in some unknown ways a technological luddite, and in other ways, I don't very see keen. that as a possibility. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, Although I did not get a chance to listen to it this time, I would okay. be more than happy as somebody who has worked on bicycles at a bicycle shop to potentially refute so uh, this financial claim. I could at least give you the gist of it. Okay, excellent. I, I didn't listen to the whole episode. I wanted to listen to the whole episode. I just couldn't, and not because of technical reasons. Um, I'll just have to listen on Aaron's phone. Y- yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so I fast forwarded because he said it was like within the last ten minutes of the of that episode. So I fast forwarded it 
to that point and it was a it's a call in format and i think that's really what what did me in is like mm. i just can't i can't do call in like uh shows anytime mm. i don't care like who who it is it could be the most interesting person it could be neil degrasse tyson as host and people calling in with questions mm-hmm. and i still couldn't listen to it mm. um but anyways so this is a financial podcast and this guy called in about like um what uh what where should he put his energies in the job sex sector you know now that he's looking f- career wise mm-hmm. Um, what is sustainable, what is going to be around in the future, what jobs are going to be lost. And uh, the particular guest on this show mentioned bike mechanic as one of the ones that are most likely going to be lost in the next, like, I think she said 10 to 15 years. What were their um, assumptions behind that statement? The assumption is technology will replace everything. And that's maybe a, a gross uh uh oversimplification of what they're saying on my part mm-hmm. but that's kind of the the notion that i was feeling from mm-hmm. that and uh huh. you know here's the thing we can we can technologize and i know that's not a word we can technologize our way out of just about anything but if uber and lyft and anyone else who uses their phone for primarily for wayfinding or uses wayfinding primarily from their phone mm-hmm. uh, if that is if that is an example of of technology saving us i don't think we're on the way to <laughs> yeah yeah you know um yeah it, go ahead oh for sure uh well it reminds me of a um podcast that i was listening to uh it wasn't this american life i think it was um Oh, crumb. It's a public radio show, but they were they had a whole episode basically on the the mechanization or or technology taking place of certain jobs, and so it seemed like, uh, and I think they had some good points in it. There certainly are a lot of things that are going to be automated, uh, but one of the things that is tricky to automate are things which computers are bad at. And so, in that regard, if a computer can be good at diagnosing and fixing a mechanical problem with a bicycle, then it is quite likely that it can be something that's automated and so my retort would be um i don't think we've made many steps at all in that regard uh, because bicycles are notoriously something that you can build tools or you can build systems around um, but there's still so many points along that chain that require judgment which can in portions be computerized but I, i i think it's um you know might not you might not be pulling down six figures but as a bicycle mechanic i think that there definitely are things that can't be diagnosed by a computer nor could they be easily programmed to be done so also i wonder how much of that is um in the in the realm of of mechanics radio lab Uh, that was the podcast i was uh, like come on so yeah the great great episode on uh mechanization yeah but but i wonder how much of that is also up to interpretation like one mechanic may say like no i don't i Mm -hmm. don't like you know the derailleur to make this sound and so i fine tune it Mm -hmm. this way Mm -hmm. well like another mechanic's like well that's that's mostly aesthetic. That's mm. not. That's not operational. So I don't mind it when it sure. makes that sound. Well, you can't program a robot to to have a preference. Yeah, and and I think like the closest that we'd get, at least in terms of of baby steps or strides, or if you if you look at uh, the most commonly uh, brought in problems for a bike shop, like maybe those would be ones that would be subjects to some mechanizations. For example, flat repair. 
uh, flats are one of the most common things that are brought to a bike shop. Sure. That being said, you'd have to create a robot um, that would add a very detailed and reliable and faster than a human can do it level that um, you, you'd be able Find to stick a, flat, a wheel in and diagnose flat. it, patch it. Yeah. And, and um, I'm not like if you're on a production line, sure, like you can make a robot that can do that. But if you're talking about the variance and the, and the random nature of flat causing objects, I still feel that that's very difficult to do. And that, and so, that if yeah. you are able to, I, I guess, kudos to you because you're, you're going <laughs> to rake in some big bucks. My, um, I guess my, it's my just, question, yeah, it's a very subjective process. Sure. My question for, for the person who made the statement that, you know, bike mechanic is going to be lost in the next 10 to 15 years. I, I and, doubt it. Right. Um, Something but sure. My, my question back to that person is, have you rode a bike? Do you know, have you tried to maintain yeah, a yeah. bike? Yeah, like maybe this person <laughs> is even in their head, like not even had experience or exposure to problems that come up with bikes. And so right. if you're sitting and, and you maybe you drive a car, you take transit all day um, and you see people riding bikes, it, it would be relatively easy to say, well, of course it's simple to fix right. this type of thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that would be a good follow-up question is when was the last time you got a flat or broke your Tell bike? You what, come on a, come on a bike tour or a bike adventure with me and watch me fiddle, watch me spend 10 to 15 minutes at every stop fiddling and fine-tuning my bike because that's an addiction i have i'll oh, admit really? to it now oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> brock and adele like they they love touring with me but they also hate it in that <laughs> you know okay i'll be right there just a second just a second and like you know i'm tightening this bolt why did you need to loosen it in the first place well because this that and the other thing are you uh are you a sound motivated tinkerer like i'm very it... sound motivated okay yeah. that's that's yeah. my rub is like uh Anytime there's a this sound, is making that I, a sound that it shouldn't make. Yep, it wasn't yep. making that sound before. Yep. It, it shouldn't be making it now. It could just be a leaf like stuck, yep. you know, in in the fenders somewhere. But now I have to pull the wheel apart and uh, make sure all the spokes are tightened mm -hmm. right. Or you know, just yeah, one thing leads to another. And oh, now I've recabled my entire bike. Thanks, everybody. Oh, yeah. So you carry like a spare set of everything just in case. <laughs> I don't. I just, I just fiddle around until, you know, I get fed up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good person to have on tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind fixing other people's stuff. And definitely people are grateful that I'm there to, to kind of tinker with their thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and maybe that's the thing is because I don't generally have, uh, a mechanical failure to tinker with i have to focus on trying to fine tune mm -hmm. my own already working bicycle yeah well it makes it that much better <laughs> right right it's it's no zero sum you're always you're always getting something out of that <laughs> right well, well next up we've got uh tim mooney left a review for us thank you tim he said five stars it was much better than cats I will listen again and again and again and again. <laughs> and I'm hoping That's he's... A lot. I, I'm guessing he means Cats the musical, because I, I personally think Cats are pretty cool. But uh, Well, he did capitalize it, so I would imagine he means Cats the musical. Oh, good. I'm just being dense then. <laughs> um, so, yes, thank you, Tim. If you feel like leaving a review, let us yeah. know what you think. Andrew Lloyd Weber ain't got shit on us. Uh, this also is another review from Chris... Um, this came to us on our Facebook as well. This podcast is the best part of my life. If it wasn't for this podcast, I would just stay home and cry. Oh, oh that's so nice. I'm glad. We, I'm glad we're able to alleviate that that 
whatever it is that needed to be alleviate so that you don't stay home and cry. Yeah, go go outside and cry or ride your bike and cry. There's there's Man, riding your bike and crying is such a great cathartic. It release. truly is. True. Not that I no, I've I've totally done that. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge anybody to admit or to say that they haven't. Anyways. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope that you've enjoyed yes. your time here. Yes, thank you to Alex for coming in and talking about the scenic bikeways and the state parks amenities and all of that. And thank you all for listening. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio thanks to the generous support of OpenSignal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at sprocketpodcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Kurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Logan Smith, Shadowfoot, Katharina Mellengard. Wayne Norman, Doug Robertson, Ethan Georgie. Justin Martin, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean. Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish. Matt Kelly, Eric White. Todd Parker. Ta- uh, Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler? I was about to say time traveler, who's Dan Gebhardt? Zoe Cabana, Dave Knows. Chris Smith, Christy Kaster, Caleb Jenkinson. J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Patrick Archain. Sebastian Poole, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom. Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder. Anna, I'll be home soon. John Wasserman, Andre Johnson, King of Division. Josh Zissen, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who's right there? Ooh, Aaron Greer, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Magnus David. Kathy at Cycling, Walking, Eating, Talking. Nathan Polton, Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan. Michael Florney, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belias. Tim Coleman, Mr. T, Harry Hugel. Ed Whitman, E.J. Finneran, Paul Colbertson, if that's your real name. I bet it's not. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchison. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Derek Wagner, Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing. David Moore, Dennis O'Brien, Todd Grosbeck. Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Brettwith. Ryan Merrow, and all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Thank you so much. (laughs) Now brush your teeth. And go to bed. Bye.